0: My name is Brian White. I want to thank you this morning for being here. Um, We started last week a sermon on, a series on the Beatitudes. And that's the beginning of uh, Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we looked last week at the first Beatitude uh, from Matthew 5.3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Last week we talked about, you know, Jesus wasn't giving, like, good advice here. He wasn't saying, here's a standard that you need to strive for. That's more on what's going to come in the Sermon on the Mount. But the Beatitudes, they're they're not advice. They're gospel. And I, I really want us to hammer this in. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's a statement of hope. It's the good news of a very different reality than the kingdoms of the earth. So in, in Greek, uh, you know, king, uh, the poor in spirit are passive and, and they don't do anything that's going to earn them the kingdom. Jesus is describing free unmerited gift and he says they've already received it. Jesus gives the second, uh, the, the, the poor in spirit, just complete, unwavering, unshakable assurance that the future kingdom is already theirs. It's present tense. The kingdom is theirs now. So I want to move to the second beatitude, uh, right next, uh, Ma- Matthew 5, 4. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I kind of feel this Beatitude speaks to us in a very unique way right now. You know, I was at home for a couple days this last week uh, because I had a potential COVID exposure, and I had so many people uh, are in the same boat, and I know that, and I was fine, and you know, it turned out the uh, person who I was around was, was negative. Uh, but, but it seems like half the people I know have COVID right now. And I don't know about you, but I, I think I'm mourning the loss of a world where, you know, we just don't have to deal with this garbage. My potential exposure came from being at a friend's house and their baby came down sick the next morning, so I got a call and, you know, frankly, I miss living in a world where it's just normal that kids get sick And I miss a world where their parents don't have to contact everyone that they came in contact with because they potentially exposed people and they need to let them know that they need to get tested. And, you know, stomach flu still happens, right? But these days, a parent's first thought is, oh, no, my baby girl has COVID. If that's not a stressor, I don't know what is. Are you mourning a loss? Are you grieving somewhere in your life? Because I have the feeling every one of us are are on some level, in some area in our lives, we're we're mourning a loss. And we're dealing with grief somewhere. And, And I think we need to hear Jesus' words, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. I think we need to recognize what the Beatitudes do not say, and they don't say, blessed are the people who do X because they will receive Y. What do I mean? The gospel is never anything that we can do to earn. We don't barter with God, right? I mean, what would we have to trade with God? Uh, We simply respond to God's work. Gospel is about grace and grace alone. It doesn't hinge on anything that we do. We we, we don't earn it. So Ken Bailey was a, a linguist and a biblical scholar. lived most of his life in the Middle East. And and you know when I was a kid, um, this is this is how nerdy you know pastors' kids. Live and grow up in their home. So, my, my parents, they used to always go to all these continuing ed events when I was a little kid, and they would study with these great, wonderful, world class Bible scholars. And, and they loved Ken Bailey. I remember, you know, we, we'd go here, Ken Bailey. And, you know, I have several commentaries they passed on to me. Mom and dad did. And um, this has nothing to do with this passage as much as my mom and dad are watching, and I know it. And, Mom, I used your Ken Bailey commentary this week. Mom was my first Bible professor. But Ken Bailey, he had this great explanation I came across this week for explaining how the blessings work in the Beatitudes and he said, "Blessed is the happy daughter of Mr. Jones because she will inherit the Jones farm." And he said, "The, the woman's already the happy daughter of Mr. Jones." And she's not working to earn the farm. She's happy and she's secure because she absolutely knows that that farm's gonna be hers one day. Blessed is the happy daughter of Mr. Jones because she will inherit the Jones farm. The first part affirms, you know, she's, she's, her happy state already exists, right? The second half affirms the future that allows her to be happy and safe in life now because she will inherit the farm. She's living in the present with the certainty of her future. It's not even a hope, it's an assurance of what the, sh- the future holds for her. So, how does that apply to blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted? Well, why would Jesus proclaim those who are mourning? why would he say they're blessed? I mean, that's happy. We talked about that last week. I mean, someone who mourns, that's someone who's suffered a loss. And I think our society does anything we can and everything we can to prevent suffering. We don't even want to experience unpleasantness. I mean, we want a magic pill, right? Every one of us do, if we're honest, that's gonna burn all the calories, you know, so we can eat as much as we want and we don't have to change our diet or our exercise habits or anything like that. Sorry, Emily, she's a nutritionist over here. Jesus isn't saying that when you mourn, your pain is just gonna go away. If you follow Jesus, I mean, you're going to Experience suffering on some level because you're following the crucified Lord. And if you're going where He goes and you do what He does, eventually your path is going to lead to some suffering. You know, if you love something on this side of eternity, you're going to eventually mourn because nothing on this side of eternity is permanent. Everything's temporary. That's a harsh, harsh reality, but it's true. So Jesus does not say we should seek suffering, but he does say we should recognize pain and suffering can be a very positive force in our life. Because suffering and and mourning, they have the potential to rearrange our priorities. Sometimes when we mourn a loss, we realize what really matters I mean, the things that used to be important, all of a sudden, they just don't really matter that much anymore. What do I mean? Things, possessions, stuff, our bank account, it it all kind of seems so inconsequential when we lose someone really important. especially if we look back on our life and we realize all of those sacrifices that we made all those years for things or a job or a career or whatever, and, and it, it meant we spent less time with the one that we love. To be human at some point is going to mean we're, we will be mourning. We're going to endure suffering. And Jesus pronounces Gospel truth in the midst of that reality, when He says, "Blessed are the ones who will experience the comfort of God." You know, when there's a warning for like a natural disaster, like a, you know right now we had the tsunami thing a couple days ago or a hurricane or whatever, you know. People kind of do one of two things. Uh, they'll, they'll decide they're going to stay and weather out the storm or they're going to flee the area. And you think about it, after the storm, uh, there's generally a contrast between those two groups of people. Uh, there's those who stayed and the news will go interview them and then they'll also interview people as they come back. And, and the, the, the difference is pretty dramatic. The survivors who stayed and they weathered the storm, generally, they're talking about how grateful they are just to be alive. And a lot of times the news will, will, they'll just be there right when the people who vacated, right when they come back and they interview them the minute they witness the destruction. And they're just devastated by their loss, their physical loss of property, their home, their boat, whatever. They weren't there during the storm is the point, but then they come and they see the loss from the point of the aftermath. And I'm not diminishing a loss of property, but I I think there's a pattern here, a pattern of gratitude for life and then an anguish for just a devastating loss of property. And it's not that we should stand in the path of a destructive storm so that we're going to learn gratitude. That's not what I'm saying at all but blessed are those who suffer and mourn because through that experience they're going to be blessed by God and their priorities can become clarified because of that storm when we experience times of suffering and mourning firsthand it changes us Ecclesiastes 7 2.4 four reads, it's better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. Sorrow is better than laughter. For by sadness of countenance the heart is made glad. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. I've had the honor to do a, a lot of funerals over the years. Several for families in this room right now. Those experiences really help me understand this passage on a different level. You know, so often a, a funeral, it's a time when people come together and they're grieving a shared loss. It's a community bound by loss. But it becomes an opportunity to remember. And they start celebrating the gift of that relationship. And in the midst of shed tears, and they're there, you start to hear laughter as, as they share the stories and they talk uh, about their loved ones. And, and Their hearts really are made glad in the midst of a house of mourning. And don't get me wrong, I've been to funerals where uh, you know, that did not happen. I mean, someone will say something they think is going to help. God must have needed her more than us. I mean, that's not something you tell a grieving parent who just lost a child, but I've heard him say it. Or everything happens for a reason. You know, I had somebody say that in an open mic for a funeral for someone who committed suicide, took their life. Then they all look at me. me. And that's not the time to talk about theodicy, which is the the notion why bad things happen to good people, right? There's a lot to talk about there. The Bible has a lot to say about that. Bible takes mourning and grieving very, very, very seriously. Lazarus' sister's friends, you know, they mourned his death. Jesus wept. Death is real and it is hard, but death is not the end of the story. I mean, disciples, we know this, and and we know even though we mourn right now, we will be comforted. We believe Jesus' promise. We believe Jesus' words, and we recognize not everybody does, frankly. Not everyone believes this, and not everyone can mourn, which I think is a tragedy in itself because when we mourn a loss, you know, we're saying, this person was important to me and I desperately miss them, and the beauty in this is when we grieve, the reason we grieve is because we learned how to love, and for someone who has just experienced deep love followed by deep grieving, it would be very easy to decide, I'm not going to go there again. I'm not going to love again, and and I've met people who have done that. I just don't believe bitterness is a way to honor the loss of our loved ones. But Jesus' pronunciation, it reminds us that we're going to be reunited with those who we have lost. And this promise, it helps us through our grief, in the midst of our grief, because it gives us the ability and the opportunity Go there to to love again. This isn't just about mourning a death of someone we we love. You know, we can mourn for a victim that we never even met. It's like an abused child. And we hear about something that happened to an abused kid or, or a victim of injustice. I mean, like both April and Trevor said, you know, MLK Day is tomorrow, Martin Luther King Jr. Day. And you know, racism is definitely alive and well. I mean, just yesterday, if you saw on the news, worshippers in a synagogue in Texas were held hostage. I mean, they're safe now, but the gunman was shot dead. But he's not the only one. I mean, racism is alive and well. He wasn't the only one. And we can mourn victims of racism just like we can mourn the loss of a soldier who gives his life for our country, or a police officer who is the victim of a terrorist attack trying to help people. In every one of those instances, we need to recognize and we need to take comfort in the fact, you know, honestly, we care about those situations even though we may not know them personally, but I'll tell you, not everybody cares. But maybe at some point in the future, we'll look back and we'll realize that that midst of that point of our grieving and that time that we were mourning, those tragedies, God was at work and God was nudging our hearts and we answered his call to actually do something about the tragedy. And maybe it's too late to help the victims, uh, but, but maybe we work to ensure that similar things don't happen again. And it wouldn't take away, you know, from this tragic event, but it could mean that God was able to take this evil thing and force it into good, to bend it, to bring something good out of it. And we were part of God's work on earth. And maybe a little more on earth as it is in heaven, like Jesus taught us to pray, because that thing happened. And that would bring some comfort in the midst of that experience when we look back on that tragedy. I mean, don't you think about it, Some of Jesus' words on grief and on mourning to his followers are gonna include mourning, grieving injustice, and evil in the world. Because if we're h- called to have the heart and the mind of Christ, doesn't it follow that when we grieve, when a baby dies from malnutrition, or that we should grieve when a child doesn't have clean drinking water. This message of hope proclaimed in this beatitude, "It doesn't depend on what we're mourning, as my point. Are we mourning the loss of a loved one? Have we witnessed a cruelty, an injustice? Are we mourning our own sin? the things that we have done, and we grieve. When Jesus started his ministry, he he came out and he quoted this passage from Isaiah, um, and he he said it was fulfilled the moment he said it. It was kind of like his mission statement. I want you to listen to these words from Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. He sent me to bring good news to the oppressed, to bind the broken hearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, release of the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God and to comfort all of those who mourn. And it goes on, to provide for those who mourn in Zion, to give them a garland instead of ashes, an oil of gladness instead of mourning, and the mantle of praise instead of a faint spirit. They'll be called oaks of righteousness. In the planning of the Lord to display His glory, they shall build up the ancient ruins. They shall raise up the former devastation, and they'll repair the ruined cities and the devastations of many generations. Now, what's behind these words I I think is so important to get. Isaiah was writing to the community in exile. What does that mean? We talked about this. Israel was just taken from their homes, taken from their families, and just dispersed. It's called the Babylonian dispersion. And they were mourning everything. They lost everything. I mean, their land, their homes, their temple, their families. It was all stripped from them. They were pulled from their houses. Families were torn apart, never to see your child again, never to see your spouse again. You were forced to intermarry with people you'd never even met. You couldn't even speak the same language. that still happens some days, but. And they were scattered. And they lost everything. In the midst of their grief, relationships, what they knew, they were also grieving the loss of a world where injustices like they were experiencing didn't happen. And now it's their reality. So when Jesus read these words as he came out, and he was promising mourners would be comforted regardless what type of grief they were experiencing. If it was relational grief, if it was spiritual grief, if it was grief for a victim, if it was a grieving someone who was lost or a tragedy, it all applies. Jesus is proclaiming hope in the midst of our loss. This beatitude is hope for those who grieve. It's hope for those who mourn. And he's not just giving good advice, like I said earlier. You know, this, this is gospel, and it changes everything for those who believe in the power of the empty tomb. I mean, the power that brought life from death, the power that changed the Roman cross from a symbol of torture to a symbol of hope. I mean, think about that. The cross is now a reminder that God bent what was meant for evil. He forced it to do good, and he can do that in our lives no matter what we are grieving right now. You know I love Romans 5 so much and, and therefore since we are justified by faith we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we have obtained access to this grace in which we stand and we boast in our hope of the sharing of the glory of God and not only that but we boast in our suffering Paul says, we boast in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope, and hope does not disappoint. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit, which has been given to us. And this is a statement of hope. Hope, hope, hope is our greatest legacy as the children of God. You know, hundreds of years before Jesus, hundreds of years before Paul ever wrote those words, Prophet Zechariah spoke to people who were very discouraged. I mean, they they were in the midst of a really difficult journey And they were given hope. And I love in chapter 9 of Zechariah, he says the most amazing thing. And and I thought about it this week, and it reminds us that one day God will send a king. He said, as for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, prisoners of hope. Today I declare I will restore you to double. Prisoners of hope. I love this image so much. Prisoners. When we suffer, we're bound by hope. We're suffering. We're prisoners. In our grieving, we're captured by hope. In our mourning, we are bound together. Chains of hope as God's people, I think we're, we're unable to escape hope. And that's part of our blessing as followers of Jesus in our loss, in our mourning. Jesus reminds us we are blessed. It's gospel. It's gospel. Blessed are we when we mourn. We'll be comforted. You pray with me. Lord, I thank you on this day for hope. that you don't release us regardless of the suffering regardless of our loss regardless of our grieving that we are prisoners of hope we ask that in the midst of our grief that the power that brought the dead to life might not only comfort us, but become a witness to ourselves and the world around us of the power of the gospel. In your son's name we pray, amen.